Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We are also going to be doing our second part of our Ridley Scott director analysis. This time we're going to be talking about some of his more contemporary dramas, such as Thelma and Louise and the newly released House of Gucci. some news there's not much but recently spider-man no way home just went on uh pre-sales and guess what happened dylan made a buttload of money it absolutely did reportedly the numbers are still coming in we'll see what they actually finally report on but estimates are placing it at 30 to 35 million which makes it the second best 24-hour period of pre-sales Second only to Endgame with forty million. What's That's amazing? Not- what's amazing is that these pre-sales for No Way Home in one day did better than all of our movies did for the past weekend's three day, the Thanksgiving weekend's three day totals. Every single one did better than every single one, including our top, which That's is crazy. True. It also did better than every other movie in the pandemic's entire pre-sales run. <laughs> So Black Widow was the highest with $30 million after its entire run of the pre-sales right before it opened. So yeah, No Way Home. This film's going to be bloody massive. Yeah, might as well just give up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's a done deal at this point. Yeah. What do you think opening weekend will be based on these numbers? For No Way Home, psh, I think it can crack $100 million. Oh, I think it'll far exceed $100 million. I say 150 is a lock at this point. Wow. A lock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see. We will. We'll see. I think, it'll we get, I think it'll get something between 100 and 150. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, no doubt it's hitting uh, triple digits, but for sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to go far beyond. Or Ghostbusters Afterlife comes back <laughs> and steals the box office numbers from Spider-Man. <laughs> it has a re-release. <laughs> And goes off. Um, yeah. And then other good Spider-Man news. Tom Holland. He has mentioned that he is going. Well, I guess not him. It was, I believe, Kathleen Kennedy of Sony. But they have confirmed that Tom Holland is going to be returning for another trilogy. Yay. Three more. To get a college trilogy, which is good because it would be so pointless to waste an actor who's still so young, still so passionate about the role, and to not continue with that and hopefully they're gonna make it less mcu heavy so that he can actually be on his own and not have a random mentor figure yeah that's from one of the other marvel movies so i am looking forward to that tom holland should die at the end of them you think i think so yeah he'd still I mean, be so you should, young though I think yeah, but they should be. i mean peter parker dies at like 20 something so like they should go into that sort of story where peter parker is killed and then Miles Morales has to take over the mantle. No. I think if they, be, they do start to finish all the way through into that, that'd be kind of cool. It'd be very bold to do, though. To have us be uh, with this character for years and then the man gets straight up killed. Ryan. What's up? 
There are four words that the Romans have spoken since the days of the Trophy. <laughs> Fortune favors the bold. The brave. If Hager is the brave. I can't believe they said that. Like, the line is bold. Everyone says bold. And he goes brave at the end of it. Is that true? Yes. That's what. That's also one of the worst parts about that thing. He says, fortune favors the brave. Fucking crypto.com. Fuck you, Matt Damon. I bet Matt Damon just kept Mars. getting the line wrong in there. Like, you know, it's close <laughs> enough. He just can't say bold. He just keeps saying brave. <laughs> I don't know. That's just so upsetting. When's the crypto movie going to come out? Featuring Matt Damon saying the wrong lines. <laughs> Hopefully never. Anyway, we have our box office breakdown for the Thanksgiving week and weekend of 2021. Each of these movies in our top 10 are going to have two numbers. Well, most of them have two numbers. It's going to be the five-day total from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the three-day total, which is the typical weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In first place is the Disney, uh, the new animated Disney movie Encanto. In the three-day, it made $27 million, and in the five-day, it made $40 million. Indeed. Ghostbusters Afterlife, in its second weekend, it got $24.5 million on the three-day, and then $35 million on the five-day. Uh, and remember, the previous weekend, it had $44 million for its opening weekend, which was just shy of Ghostbusters 2016's opening of $46 million. But thankfully, this one had a much better hold going into the Thanksgiving week. So it is now currently domestically at $87 million. I mean, it's doing better than I thought it would, you know? Good it work, Ghostbusters. Well, yeah. You know, just keep going. Keep chugging along, you know? Make as much as you can make. Have you seen it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably go, go this weekend. I should probably go see it. If I have time, I'll try. You should. You gotta go support it. It's your yeah. last one. After Ghostbusters Afterlife was Ridley Scott's House of Gucci. That made $14 million in the three-day weekend and $22 million in the five-day. Indeed, and that already beat out the last duel's domestic total of $10 million. Amazing. So Ridley Scott won't be able to yell at the millennials about this one. <laughs> I can't believe, dude. I can't believe he's getting so upset over it. It's like, Ridley, what are you doing? You just didn't market the movie. Nobody knows what the fuck this is. I mean, yeah. It was very unfortunate. And again, they put it out in the middle of October, which was the biggest October of any year ever. I mean, I don't know what they thought they were doing with that. I mean, seriously. It was poor choices. Again, not really Scott had anything to do with goes, the marketing or the He goes full boomer, those date. fucking millennials and their cell phones. <laughs> yeah. They can't they can't just learn something. He's not even once. boomer, dude. He's silent generation. That man's like eighty something years old. That man's way beyond. But yeah. Um we'll see <laughs> if he's Happy about the result of the House of Gucci box office numbers. He's probably not happy about the critical reception. We'll get to that. But after House of Gucci, we had Eternals. 7.9 million on the three-day. 11.4 million on the four-day. Bringing its domestic total to 150 million. It's a good milestone across. Mm. And then worldwide is 368. So it will pass 400 million. But it's not going to go too far beyond that. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> After Eternals was Resident Evil, welcome to Raccoon City. In the three days, it made five million, but in the five days, it made eight point eight million, mm-hmm. which is honestly better than I thought it would. Yeah, because they didn't really market that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I did not think it was going to make good money. It was just the fans of the game probably came out to see it. Mm-hmm. After that, we had Clifford, four point eight million on the weekend, 
abysmal. King Richard made $3.3 million, and that could be attributed to it being a, a lower-budget biopic. The only star is really uh, Will Smith, and then also towards the end, uh, what's-his-name comes on. What's his name? John Bernthal. John Bernthal. Yeah, John Bernthal shows up. So there's not a lot of star power attached to it. It is a sports biopic, which is a harder sell these days. And, I mean, it was also on HBO Max. So that's probably why the numbers are fairly low. But I saw half of this movie, the second half. I suggest you go see it. I think it's pretty good. All right. Dune with 2.1 million hanging in there. No Time to Die with 1.7 million, bringing its worldwide total to $750 million. (laughs) Beautiful. Just as predicted. Just as planned. I'm going to sweep the Oscars competition, I'm telling you. You might. Hasaguchi is one of my Oscar picks. I'm going to butt fuck And West Side Story. I'm going to butt fuck you with these Oscar picks, bro. West Side Story is going to do well, I'm telling you. It's funny because I have Last Duel. That is funny. (laughs) Last Duel is a good movie, but it's not getting nominated, I don't think. It'll be nominated for like set design and costume design. It might, yeah. Period pieces that are that old always do. Jodie Comer, maybe. She was good in that. She was very good. Uh, Venom. Rounding out the top 10 with 1.5 million. All right. I guess there's nothing really big coming out this weekend, so we don't have a lot of any really box office predictions. It's uh, just the leftovers. Just the leftovers. Post Thanksgiving know. week. Yep. So go catch up on all the movies you missed. We watched House of Gucci yesterday. We're probably going to go see Belfast tonight. I might go see other movies this weekend if I have time. Catch up on all the movies that I've been missing, like uh, Ghostbusters. And no time to die. I still haven't seen. And Venom, I haven't seen. But I'll probably. What the skip. heck? You got to go. Uh, I think I'll skip Venom. No, there's also no excuse for you, bro. You got Regal Unlimited. What are you doing? This is true. But it's an hour and a half of my time. No time to die is three hours of my time. But at it's least some... I'm at least it's I'm fun. I have a good time with no time to die. I won't enjoy Venom. I know I won't. Yes, you will. What are you talking about? You got to go in with the right mindset. I refuse to have the right mindset. <laughs> but I'm willing to give it a shot. If it ever, I'm I'm waiting for it to go to like a streaming service. Like some kind of streaming service, maybe one day, and then I'll watch it there. I don't know if I want to spend the time in theaters, sitting down, going through a whole thing, watching previews just for Venom. You know, it's like a whole thing. It's like, ninety minutes. You don't. I know even it's have super to see short. The previews. You know that the movie starts twenty minutes after the show time is listed. It'll be brief, bro. You just get in there, get out. It'll be great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we can move on to our main topic of discussion which is our second really scott director's analysis we decided that, that since he has three sort of very specific genres he usually his movies usually fall into we were going to break it up into three different director's analysis our first one was on his big dueling period pieces like uh gladiator and the the last duel and we should have also included his first movie the duelists which mm-hmm. was we never got to see it but I mean, it's about people who are dueling. Like I can't believe he literally yeah. falls into the category over and over again. But <laughs> our second one today is going to be about his more contemporary dramas. We're going to be talking about Thumb and Louise and House of Gucci. Uh, we were going to talk about All the Money in the World, but <laughs> it's not streaming anywhere. I'm not going to pay for it. It didn't look that good. It's probably better if we don't touch it anyway. Right. Uh, and then. Hopefully our third director's analysis will probably be doing it sometime next year for Ridley Scott. It'll be his sci-fi movies, which is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Alien, Blade Runner, The Martian, all the sci-fi stuff. We'll maybe touch on Prometheus a little bit so we can rag on something. Uh, <laughs> so let's get right into uh, 
his contemporary dramas. We'll start with Delma and Louise since since it's an absolute slap. It is fantastic. <laughs> I watched it for the first time yesterday. Wait, Ryan. you didn't see it? You hadn't seen it previously? No, I had never seen it. I thought you did. Crazy. No, I had never seen Thumb and Louise. I knew all about it. I think I knew the entire plot too. Like I think I had read it or something. <laughs> well, so. that's also one where everyone like knows the ending. Yeah, I did. That whole iconic. Yeah, also, yeah. spoilers for both of the movies that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you probably do already know the ending because it is iconic. Um, but yeah, so your first time viewing it the other day, mm-hmm. and you enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was great. When did you first watch it, Ryan? I had seen it. I cannot remember for what, if it was for the class, because it wasn't screened. Like, I watched it at home. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if one day I just saw Thelma and Louise and like, hey, let me watch this. Maybe that is the case. Um, but, yeah, it was a couple years ago that I had first seen it. And then I rewatched it this past weekend. And, yeah, it's good. In both cases, it was interesting. Like, I struggled to get into it and get attached to it yeah the opening is rough yeah also and so once you get in there you're really in there yeah but the back half of it especially it just gets so incredible yeah like when they're fully leaning into just being the outlaws and going around like fully living that out dude when gina davis robs the store it's a great scene and she says exactly what brad fits it i was like oh that's perfect (laughs) it is and then she comes out she's like i think i got a knack for this like all that is fantastic i like to see them truly alive mm-hmm. and it does have a great progression of both mm-hmm. of them going from these their unhappy lives with thelma of course repressed by uh being in that household with that schmuck of a guy dude christopher mcdonald is so good in this movie <laughs> this is his best role he's so good dude, when the cops first come and they're doing the scene where he's talking to them and they tell him that she's wanted a connection for a murder and he goes quit quit <laughs> And then he's stepping on the pizza. And he goes, sir, you're stepping <laughs> on the pizza. And he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> he's so funny in this movie. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing them go from that to them trying to, you know, Thelma especially trying to lean into just having fun, being able to get away for one weekend. And then, of course, everything falls apart. But then they come into their own and fully are able to express themselves. Like, that's another good line as well, where she's like, I think I just went a bit crazy. He's like, no, you've always been this way. You're just, this is the only time you've been able to express it. So they're finally able to let loose, let go of all the restraints that they've had on them. Obviously, in a male-dominated world, Mm. um, a lot of subtext and then surface text of uh, feminist themes there. So a lot of great stuff with this. And it actually is all working together. The yeah. leads, the performances. The chemistry are great. is so good between Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. It really, really is. And the overall tone that Ridley Scott is able to strike between like those performances, a lot of the shots, and the music, very good. Something that was heavily missing from House of Gucci, which we'll get to. But I just don't understand how like 30 years ago he absolutely nailed it with this. Mm-hmm. Like the atmosphere is absolutely on point. I don't know how it changed. But, yeah, what are some of the other main highlights for this film for you? Uh, Hans Zimmer's score, of course, is really good. Like, I was just so surprised by how good it was. Because it starts off with that sweeping shot of the desert with the opening credits. It's got a Hans Zimmer score. And I was like, man, this is really good. Who who came up with this score? And it's a music by Hans Zimmer. And I was like, what the fuck? 
Yeah, I know. Right? I was like, what? Like, uh, I didn't know he could play a guitar. I thought everything he did was <laughs> on a keyboard and that he was just synthesizing everything. But yeah, this was really good. I really, oh, something funny happened. Okay, so uh, and he's like, this is a good story. And I want, I want it to be on the record. So I was, I was, uh, I was with Alexa and she was laying down and she had her hair was kind of over her face and a strand of it was going from like the side of her head across to her nose. And I was like, you look like the people from Dune. And without missing a beat, she goes, ah! <laughs> like perfectly does it. And dude, I could not <laughs> stop laughing. It was so funny. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, back to Thumb and Louise. Uh, I think the writing was really good. Like, like it knew when to dip into comedy. It knew when to dip back into drama. Like, it's I also love... very, very true. Like, it was peppered with humor throughout. Mm-hmm. That again, really endeared good you, too. like stuff yeah. that actually made me laugh. Exactly, and then it endeared you to the characters. That was another thing. Like they had legitimate personality, which came through in the performance and in mm-hmm. the writing. Like those things worked together in order to convey that. But they truly felt like real fleshed out people in a way that in House of Gucci, despite them being real people, they did not. They Feel just like came across as caricatures. It was yeah. it was weird. Um, Maybe because they were based on real people, really Scott didn't know how to get a, a grapple on them. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there, but we have a lot to say about House of Gucci. You'll hear about it. Yeah. Uh, it was well-paced. I thought like the the construction of the scenes was done really well, going back and forth between uh, Harvey Keitel doing his investigation and Thelma Louise and their, their rampaging road trip, going back and forth between that was really well done. Uh, Brad Pitt was great. Yeah. He really, really shown stood out in this movie this i'm so glad this was his breakout role because what a what a way to introduce yourself into the the world of filmmaking for real he's very hot in this movie indeed indeed and he's uh, looks practically the same (laughs) it's insane i mean you watch once upon a time in hollywood and you're just like dripping in the theater how old was he in this role that's a good question 30 years ago do we know how old brad pitt is now currently uh, he was born in like sixty three or sixty four. Just stop. He's, he's almost 50, as he's fifty seven. Yeah, he was born in sixty three. He was he's almost as old as Quentin Tarantino. When I saw them like <laughs> hanging out, I was like, "How weird is it for Brad Pitt to be hanging out with someone so much older than himself?" And I found out they were near the same age, and I was like, "What the fuck, <laughs> Quentin? What happened?" <laughs> well, yeah, Quentin of course was that. Way. To be fair, not all of us can be Brad Pitt. In fact, it's, nobody can be Brad Pitt except Brad Pitt. Very true. Uh, so yeah, he was in that movie, had a great role in it as well. Um, it, with his impact on Thelma. Um, and that was also, that was like towards the midpoint as well, which I thought was mm-hmm. well-structured having that moment, Thelma being with uh, him right after on the phone, mm-hmm. telling off her husband. Um, and then that Bear goes down. Book yourself. Exactly. And then right after they do that, and there was a moment where, am I ruining this correctly? She tells him to like stop for just a second, just to see if he would do it. Yeah, he would actually respect true. that. And then he did because he did do that, and she's able to feel safe and continue. I like um, that. I definitely like that as well. Um, so that was great. And then right after when he <laughs> robs them, which is also a great. I mean, set up as well. Like he's. Mm-hmm. I like how they use that as a transition point for Louise to sort of lose control, and then Thelma has to take over 
and she becomes like this criminal crazy person. Like she gets her confidence after sleeping with Brad Pitt, which I mean, anyone would get confidence <laughs> after sleeping with Brad Pitt, right? Exactly. I know I would. It'll be golden after that. Brad, glowing. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was also a really interesting thing that they did. Is Louise starting out? You would expect. Okay, well, Thelma is going to be the one that's very subdued and not very like extroverted or not going to be doing any of those crazy things. Uh, but then fairly quickly, I mean, you see how Louise is the one that's trying to like stick to the schedule. Let's just get to the um, the fishing cabin, whereas Thelma is the one that wants to go straight to that bar and have fun right away. Um, and then over time, again, you see Louise is trying to like keep things together. Like, I just need to figure out what to do. I need to figure out what we're going to how we're going to get out of this. Um, and then towards the end, they, and you can also see a lot in there, like it's a road trip movie. And so whenever they're, mm. whoever's taking the wheel, literally being mm. in charge. Yeah. In that particular time in the movie, it's good stuff. I also love the whole little bit with the, that truck driver. Oh yeah. That whole thing where they see him like three times. And then finally, as they get to the point where they're fully confident in, like who they're being now just being the criminal road trip people mm-hmm. um they get him off the road and then fool him into thinking that he's gonna get some and then they just lambast him and then destroy his entire vehicle that was fantastic great. absolutely phenomenal i was wondering which time they were gonna like fuck him up because the second time they're already sort of they had already robbed the store at this point and i'm like are they gonna do it now but i was like oh louise isn't at that point yet Mm-hmm. And then it was after they stuffed the cop in the trunk, which is also which funny. Is also the, so the, the biker comes up and he just blows <laughs> smoke into yeah. the trunk. That, that was, was good. great. But yeah, it's like that time when they're they're finally fully formed criminals and they're fully accepting what they are and they're excited to do it. That's great. For sure. All right. Any other comments about Thelma and Louise? Uh, Gina Davis is gorgeous. I also didn't know she was six feet tall. She's six she's feet. So tall. In the movie, they yeah. say she's five ten, but online it says she's six feet, which is a, a very tall height. Very much so. Yeah, but this is a really good movie. If you haven't seen Thelma and Louise, you should go check it out. Really, Scott really comes into his stride with this movie. I think he knows how to handle the characters. I think he knows how to play it well, and it does good as a comedy. Like, like even though like it is a drama, there are there is so much comedic elements to it that know when to be comedy because we're going to talk about this later with house of gucci but there's so many elements where where this guy knows when to dip into comedy and when to dip back out of it that it works really really well Mm -hmm. very much so and it's as you said once it hits its stride in this movie once it picks up it absolutely delivers the whole way through it's always engaging Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's able to have such heart be so effective as a drama like you get emotionally invested into um, the story with these two women but then it also has moments where you're gonna laugh out loud uh many many times so great movie shout out to to christopher mcdonald dude he he really like (laughs) it's a second shout out he's so good like he was great in happy gilmore and i think i've seen him in some other stuff that he's really good in but this was like it just blew my mind. I was such a, a a minor character in the story, like a relatively minor character that doesn't have a lot of screen time compared to everybody else, just shines and just stays in my memory. How funny he is in this movie and how like he well defined he makes this character. Dude, when he starts lashing out at Brad Pitt when they're at the 
like police station. <laughs> I like your wife. <laughs> yeah. Also, but, the thing to note, the accents in this movie were very good. That I is true. That, I believe that it was their actual accents. I think the, they did a really good job pulling off those, uh, the, the, I guess it's not Texas accents, even though I think Daryl's well, supposed to be a Texas, but uh, they're not in Texas because Louise, of course, would never go to Texas. Mm-hmm. But she would have a Texas accent then, since she was originally from there. Is she? Well, that was the whole bit, wasn't it? She was well, in I think this, Texas and she then... went to Texas and that she doesn't want to go back there. Oh, really? They never explain why. I think it's implied that she's assaulted in well, Texas. Yes, very heavily so. Um, yeah. But I also thought that was interesting. And again, how that was for her, like that was something she just wouldn't discuss because it is brought up. Thelma is like, mm-hmm. hey, is this what happened to you? Thelma doesn't even know. So Luis yeah. is that guarded about it. Um, but I mean, yeah, based on her reaction to um, Harlan out in the parking lot with Thelma and then her saying that line of, when a woman's screaming like that, that means she ain't having fun. I mean, I think that was definitely calling back to, you know, what she would like to say to that, whatever mm-hmm. schmuck in Texas did that to her. And then of course she shoots Harlan as he's still continuing to be yeah. arrogant and being, yeah. Good so performance I think, from Susan Sarandon in that scene, bro. She's really powerful in it. I know. I'm loving like, That was very good. Um, her breakdown a couple times were very good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this I, was love, also... I do. I love the scene where because she's like the tough character throughout this whole movie, kind of. And then they do mm-hmm. the, and then she starts to break down a little bit. And I love the scene where they're uh, sticking up the cop because, like, it's totally flipped now. Like Thelma is taking charge, and Louise is just sort of going along with it. She shoots the wrong radio. Yeah. She asks for his belt and kind of nonchalantly she apologizes. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this was also the movie that put Ridley Scott back on the map because mm-hmm. he had a pretty like after blade runner his movies were not doing that well blade runner didn't even do that well it, yeah, it was just only, a critical success not a financial one yeah after time it became well liked and became a financial success but yeah throughout the whole 80s he was struggling uh and then thelma and louise was the one that i think both financially and critically was a success and then that you know propelled him forward in his career and yeah 30 years later Comes out with two movies, one of which, The Last Duel, back to his roots with dueling in medieval <laughs> settings, which we both liked. And then House of Gucci, a contemporary of sorts. Um, it's like I said, in what, the 80s and 90s, but yeah, still like that, just focusing on characters um, going about their lives, the drama between them. And it is a movie we did not like. It's so bad, guys. <laughs> Don't go see House of Gucci. It is uh, two hours and 40 minutes of horribleness. I can't believe I it was that, believe that fucking long. <laughs> I sat I in that theater for almost three hours just wanting to leave. I wanted to leave the entire time. Oh, my God. You should have so just bad. gone. You should have just taken a breather at a, at some point. I didn't. Get, like, I wanted snacks. to sit through. I wanted to be able to say that I sat through the whole damn thing and hated the entire <laughs> thing. I, I didn't want to be like come back and you're like, God, you missed the one good scene, Dylan. But now I can, for one hundred percent sure, say that there are no good scenes. No, that's not true. In Let's, this entire. So movie. what is? No, start out with some movie. things you liked. What are some things that you actually enjoyed? The costumes designed by Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the costuming was good because, I mean, it's a movie about people who make... You clothes, like the so... runway scene. Which runway scene? The second one. The one with Tom Ford? Sure. Where it was like, it was uh, where he sees Patrizio. Yes. I didn't like that. <laughs> when it you flashes like and you see Lady Gaga and she's like making a face. <laughs> yeah. It was so stupid. <laughs> she looked ridiculous. It's like she, she was like, making a little child face at him. And it's like, what, is this supposed to be intimidating? <laughs> She's like five feet tall. It's not scary. It's true. But you can see her full height, though. In that one, that first shot, at least, when it was just... I can see her full head. height in every single shot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Close-ups, wides, doesn't matter. I could tell how tall she was the entire time. Also, her, her, her acting was really, really bad. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I want to hear some the good, good things. stuff you have some stuff. compliments i'm you trying i'm trying so hard i'm trying to rack my brain about the things i liked and they're just not there <laughs> i'm trying so fucking hard for you guys you I did just... like the scene where he was calling her out when they're in switzerland i thought it was decent i thought it was oh shut up you liked it i thought it was a good character moment i still don't think the acting was great on lady gaga's part i think it was good on adam driver's part i think he was really selling it at that point mm-hmm. but i just I don't know. It felt sort of like I didn't like the build up to it. I felt like it was sort of I don't know. It just she came said, out of nowhere. Like because they're like on the run because of their because of forging a signature, and then all of a sudden they're just having lunch. It just sort of builds up. That made weird. no sense to me as well. Like when they just stopped being on the run out of nowhere. Like did that get resolved? It's because they're in a new country, I guess. I don't know. They don't. But yeah, they, they don't went, even. They went resolve. back. Though. They like go back, and he's yeah, part of the business dealings. It doesn't even explain how they resolved the conflict with the Italian government. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, that was very confusing. But that was, for me, the good scene. Just because that was my, that was a representation of my feelings towards the movie. That's what I wanted to say to the movie, is what he was saying to her. Being like, stop fluffing up all these stories of yours with these stupid details that don't matter. You ain't nothing. So many stupid details that don't fucking matter. Yeah, so that that for me was good, and then also that actress actress that plays Paula, the blonde chick that he okay. ends up getting with. I, I like her a lot. So those moments also were. You like her the actress, or you like her performance? I like her the actress. I mean, her performance in this wasn't much. It was just a who get intimidated by Lady Gaga. What else is she in that you like her? In? She was in Stillwater. Did you ever see that? Oh, okay. No, I didn't see Stillwater. Was it good? Bro. We'll talk about it at some point. But just yes, was it I good? Yes or no. You liked she it? She okay. was an absolute gem in it, for sure. Okay, I'll check it out then. When it's streaming somewhere, probably. But what was I going to say? Uh, I guess the makeup was good on Jared Leto. The hairstyling yeah. was pretty good. Mm-hmm. The way they, they, they made the characters look like they were part of the period, I thought that was done well. I thought all the costuming, makeup, hair styling, I thought it was done satisfactorily well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, I didn't care enough about the characters to really care about how they looked. <laughs> I thought it was fine. All right, you uh, have free reign now to start digging in, tear this movie apart. Well, they're Italians and they don't sound Italian. They <laughs> sound like caricatures of Italians. They don't, this is the problem when you ever do any kind of actor doing an Italian accent without actually doing like speaking any kind of Italian and then also not training them how to do an Italian accent is they just sound like characters of fucking Italians. Lady Gaga didn't even sound like an Italian accent. What do you mean? Like a Russian accent. 
Well, yeah. They were also, again, people are saying that she actually sounds like the woman Patricia. And so that her accent is emulating that, not necessarily a conventional Italian accent. Did you ever follow up on that? Did you ever look for those videos of I didn't, I the real Patricia? But I just, I feel like in rehearsals, really Scott should have been like, wow, these accents are really bad. Let's just do it in our typical American accents and it'll be fine. Because I would have been fine with that. It would not have taken me out of it. I would have been fully aware that they're Gucci, so they are Italian. Yes, I know. But if you're going to have to speak um, like English throughout the, I almost said American. You're going to have to speak English. <laughs> I'll speak goddamn American. <laughs> If they're going to speak English throughout the whole thing, just have them keep their American accents. If they're Italians who are speaking English to each other for no reason, just make them have... I've always had this qualm with movies is that like actors don't really do the accents super duper well for foreign languages. And so it's like just... And they're speaking to each other in English, but with accents, even though they should just be speaking the language. And I'm like, just have them speak in their normal accents. Like in, in Amadeus, which is about Mozart, in austria they just speak in normal american accents and i'm like this does not take me out of it i'm not fully thrown out of it It, it's fine another thing in the last duel why do they have british accents yeah for french people i and those are also bad accents a lot of times yeah that was also really scott's really fucking up with the accents which is why it was so odd to me that the thelma and louise accents were so good it's true isn't i don't know is susan sarandon isn't she like southern though I'm pretty sure uh, she doesn't have a southern accent though. She has just like I, mean, I don't know Brad what kind Pitt, of accent though, she has. Also but... had, I mean, he did well for his accent too. He did. Well, Brad Pitt was born thing. in Oklahoma, so. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if they don't speak it, they might have a good understanding just from. Yeah, Susan Sarandon was born in New York City, so I'm assuming she grew up there. So I don't think she has a southern accent, but she did a good job putting one on. Unlike the people of House of Gucci, who did a terrible job. <laughs> Even Al Pacino, legendary actor Al Pacino, could not pull off an Italian accent. Or Jared Leto, or Jeremy Irons. None of them could do it, dude. What do you mean? Jared Leto had it. <laughs> Bro, he's so bad. Jared Leto. Jared Leto knew the assignment was, and Ridley Scott didn't. Jared Leto knew this should have been a comedy, and he <laughs> went for it. And Ridley Scott did not deliver on that promise, bro. Yeah, I, I truly think believe. this should be a comedy, as you said. <laughs> now it really made it so much better. The ridiculousness of everything that was happening and everything that was going on, and you take it, it this guy just took it way too seriously. He made, the tone was way too serious. The structure was way too serious. There was no comedy in it at all. In, like, no intentional comedy. Like, I laughed at things because it was stupid, not because it was funny. <laughs> which is upsetting, dude. Like, it could have been a really, really funny comedy. If if really Scott had known when the comedy, which is why it's surprising when I watched Thelma and Louise, because I'm like, he knows when to dip in between comedy and drama. Gucci might be good. And he didn't do it. Like, what? You know how to do it. Why aren't you doing it, Ridley? Why aren't you doing it, Ridley? You going to blame the millennials? What's going on, Ridley? <laughs> yeah, not not the best showing there. Another massive issue was the fact that there is no chemistry between the actors. Oh, it's like, awful. Steve- Lady Gaga and Adam Driver, just there's like nothing between them. Even in the moments, like earlier in the film, when you're supposed to buy into the fact that they actually love each other, you just don't get any sense of that in the slightest. It's bad. It's like I'm watching a daily. Like it literally felt like I was watching dailies of them acting, and I'm like, 
oh, we could fix this and fix that and do this and that and like with their performance. And I'm like, but but this is the final movie. Like, what is happening? Why am I watching master shots of these people act? And it seems like it's just like a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like it seems like they were acting like as if the camera was super far away and it was like a super wide shot where you can see or hear them. And so they were pretending to act a little bit, but not going all the way out. But it was a close up. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right. Why are you so bad at your job? Why is the direction so bad? Why is the editing so bad? Why are you not cutting around to add in a little bit of chemistry in post-production? Why are you just doing plain shots of these people who are not going all the way out with the chemistry and don't blend well together? And really, why aren't you helping them in the rehearsal process to either get that chemistry or fire them and get somebody who can do chemistry? Like, God, it's it's bad. Like, Lady Gaga has had chemistry with Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. And Adam Driver has had chemistry with, uh, what else has he been in? I don't want to say star. I guess marriage story. He has chemistry <laughs> with Scarlett Johansson in a positive and negative way. So like they both are capable of of creating that chemistry. It just didn't work between the two of them. It felt so awkward. It felt so weird. I didn't know if in the beginning she was trying to just seduce him to gain power, but then it felt like she was actually in love with him at a certain point. Yeah, they point. didn't really emphasize that too much. Like they showcased very early on that she's very driven by this idea of like wanting wealth, wanting to just have a lot of money, have a lot of materialistic things. But then they also are sort of showing that she likes him legitimately. Like when she he shows up at the house and then she's immediately like, yes, let, let him in. Let him come work with us. Like that seemed to be an action of, oh, legitimate care for this person. But earlier on when she immediately gets interested by the fact that he says he's a Gucci and then she starts like following him around in order to force a second meeting with him. Like all that and the meetings with the, um, what do you call them? The like tarot card reader? Tarot cards, yeah. Yeah. So meeting, yeah, meeting with her to um, be like, oh, there are good things in my future. There's all also of no that... build up to that relationship. Like I know. We had I... no idea that she was like into such spirituality and things like that. And so then she just sees it on the TV and immediately just calls in. And I was like, I know. I thought that was a joke why? that they were going to do. And then she's losing I, like, like, like an me. important part of this story. And then they just start meeting in person and then they become friends and are chilling in a, a mud And then bath. she's a part of the conspiracy to kill Maurizio. And I'm like, what the fuck? I know. That's crazy. Also, it made no They legitimately implied that she could sense Adam Driver. Matrizio was being with some other girl. You remember that scene? Yeah. Where she, she has like this horrible look tears. on her face and she's like, oh, oh, oh. Lady He's Gaga's like, what? What's she Where doing? Is Where what? is he? Where is he? Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, are they actually implying that she's just able to sense? sense that that's going on from a, like what that made no sense to me at all it just did not pick a tone and stay with it it just bounced too far into different corners and it was just uh so many awful awful things i was gonna say something and i forgot what it was god damn it keep you keep going I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me but yeah so that part was that was the worst part of the movie for me the fact that they actually made that come across like this is a real thing that's happening like she is actually able to predict the future understand what's going on somewhere else in the world so stupid but back to patricia with her whether or not we're actually supposed to sympathize with her and whether or not she legitimately cared in the beginning or if it was always just an act and a ploy yeah they don't 
there's no clear i don't even think they knew like they were just like it's probably both and i'm like you should pick one more than the other right i don't because i think they were maybe trying to be complex and ambiguous with it but it doesn't work it seems like they didn't want to commit to either way and it means that we can't really connect with her because if this isn't genuine why would we ever be rooting for her if she's just trying to manipulate this entire family in order to find personal gain for herself there was also the other problem with this was when she was talking about her child she brought up that thing she was like look at my eyes look at my eyes takes off the dude sunglasses i thought that was so stupid mm-hmm. look at my eyes do you think that i would ever let anything bad happen to her and she's talking about like matrizio divorcing her it, and she was saying like she would never let that happen because it would be bad for the child even though it's already been made clear to her that everything's gonna get paid for like he's not gonna just leave them out to dry he's gonna take care of them and he still is seeking for shared custody it's not like he's leaving his daughter's life entirely and she her main defense main reasoning in that part was invoking this child who we had two scenes with one of which was her using the child as a pawn to get at him right giving the gift when he was playing with her bloomingdale's gift card bro <laughs> yeah i can't yeah. believe he's like it's a bloomingdale's gift card now you can go and shop what you want like, what the fuck? it's so stupid i never shopped there yeah, this is the first there was the time to start yeah <laughs> um but anyway i thought that was also weird because were we actually supposed to believe that that's a legitimate reason for why she's upset about this because every other thing that we've been told about her tells me that no that's not what this is about. This is about her not being able to be in that position of wealth and power and status anymore. So yeah. I don't know. It's very strange the way they went about that character. She also gets dropped in the third act. Like after she gets kicked out, we see her once once or twice. Her talking it's mostly with, Maurizio taking over. Yeah, the company, and it's her. Like the scenes we get with her are her in the mud bath being upset and then splashing some of the mud on some Hayek's face. And then Which is absolutely something that she improved in the moment. Like there's so many moments where Patrizia does weird things and I'm like, Lady Gaga did this on the spot and nobody thought to tell her that no, this was a bad idea. Right. Like it just comes off as stupid. Like I read somewhere that the father son and house of Gucci thing was improv by Lady Gaga and I'm like, what a stupid line. Why would you <laughs> Why, why would you put any of her improvs in this? They're all coming off poorly. Like, they're all just bad. Yeah, the mud splashing for sure. I thought it was so stupid. There's no reason for that. There's nothing there. And it just made the film eight seconds longer, which we didn't need. We didn't need eight seconds of more grueling film to watch. Nope. Um, but then the other scene in the third act that she had was... The photo book scene, which was so stupid. And this was also, he was like, please, you're embarrassing yourself. I was like, yes, that is that is what's going on in this movie right now. That's what Lady Gaga is doing. She's embarrassing herself with that. Because again, it was, we don't know, like, her actual intention here. It seems it cause... like she actually loves him. But yeah. then it's like, what? then the whole movie where you're, like, trying to grab power, like, that's sort of invalidated with the fact that, I don't know, it does not invalidate that you have real feelings, but... If the only reason you want him back is because you love him, it's like, what was the whole point of making her seem power hungry? Exactly. I, I don't get it. And then afterwards, she, how much are you going to love this person if you immediately go kill him because he's not taking you back? 
like what? That I also thought wasn't developed enough. And again, in real life, I just don't understand the motivations. So, I mean, there's always going to be a barrier there, but they didn't showcase in the film how she gets to that point. Like they have her confronting him outside of his house. He rejects her. But again, he's like, I don't hate you. I just don't want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I'm going to take care of you financially. I'm still going to be a part of our daughter's life. Mm-hmm. Like he says all that. It's not like he's being vicious to her or anything. And then she suddenly decides, okay, time to kill him. I just don't get it. They should have shown more of that thought process of what really pushed her to that. And then when she's giving the money away or giving the money to the hitman, that scene was also played as comedy. Like that was one of the ones where like, okay, let's make this one one of the comedic scenes. Even though it should it's like the important moment where she's actually acting on this desire to kill this person that we've been let to believe been comedy throughout, she bro. It should have. There's so much natural comedy in this story. I'm just so surprised they didn't lean on it. Like how awkward Adam Driver's character is in the beginning. It's like there's so much humor in that alone that he's this rich boy who is like the the legacy of this huge Gucci dynasty and he wants to be the awkward lawyer and be a trucking guy. And it's like, there's so much humor that you could do here and you're just not doing it. Mm-hmm. You're taking yourself so seriously. This is such a ridiculous movie about people who have an absorbent amount of wealth and are back. It's like Succession. Succession knows when to be funny and when to be serious because there's just so much natural humor in people who have this much absurd wealth and just do stupid stuff with it. Like, There's so much humor in that. In addition to the the horrible, like drama that goes along with it, it's just so mm-hmm. sad that they didn't lean it at all in any kind of humor. I also really dislike a lot of the pacing and a lot of the the choices when it came to scene selection. Like there, there's literally the scene where Adam Driver gets a phone call. And he's like, "My father's sick," and then they go and they show him that he has a daughter. And he goes, "I have a daughter," and then the very next scene, he's just in a he's casket. Dead. He's just dead. <laughs> He's just fully <laughs> dead. And I'm like, what the fuck? Wait, why did you excel so quickly? Why didn't you just have him be dead? He, like, you didn't need the scene of him getting the phone call and saying, my father's sick. You didn't need the scene of him learning that he has a granddaughter. Because it's not like they make up and are friends again and, like, are a family again. He still doesn't like Patrizia. You could have just killed him off. And that that dislike would have still been there. And we would have still would have gotten that impression that he never liked Patrizia. Right. Exactly. Also, did Patrizia... Was her main motivation for moving against Aldo, Al Pacino's character? Because he was like, guys, I made Gucci what it is today. You guys didn't. Wasn't that like her main motivation? Which I guess maybe was him, I guess, invalidating the fact that she was part of the family or something. Mm -hmm. I guess that was a part of it. It was also that she just probably wanted the power in general. Well, yeah, but they focused on that scene where she's... You see him out of focus in the background talking to yeah. him about it, Matrizio, and then she's sitting there like smoking or drinking wine, crying, tearing up. I think the I intention like, is that what they are trying to showcase here. Like she did it, yeah, because she felt slighted, and so I think that was a... the intention was that to imply that tensions are just frictioning, but there's no additional scenes to add on to that. It's like they are happy with Aldo, and then they have that one scene where they're upset with him, and then they try to take them out and it's like you need more scenes of the tension arising between their relationship and then want and patrizia wanting to take over and you're not giving enough of it yeah because also was the whole reason that they were able to get matrizia was able to get folded back into the whole gucci deal also i don't really like, yo come come see the family come hang out 
I don't really understand how Maurizio folds. Like, there's so many times where there's so many scenes where Aldo's like, "Come to New York, come join us," and Maurizio's like, "No, no, no." Patrizia's like pushing him, and then they're just doing it. And it's like, when does he fold? When did this happen? I mean, I guess they set it up when he says no to dancing, and then they're just dancing. The idea of him not wanting to do something, and then she pushes him to do it. Like they set that up mm-hmm. early on, I guess. But I don't like the idea of there being like this huge plot point of him wanting to live this life as a trucking guy and wanting to be happy as a, as a low time lawyer and just do what he makes him happy. And then he's all of a sudden just the empire, like the dynasty. Like he's part of the Gucci dynasty now with no middle scene of him like agreeing to do it. Like it's just Patrizia pushing him. And so you get the implication that he doesn't want to do it. But then he starts doing it and he likes doing it. And it's like, what? But he didn't want to do this. Yeah, that was also strange to me. It also, I there was a lot of times where things didn't make sense a lot. Where they say, like, once he leaves the family to marry her, essentially, they're still, like, she gets pregnant. And then they're up in that big apartment. But they still haven't yet, like, actually rejoined Gucci at that point. Yeah. And they made, they had talked somewhere about the fact that oh he's not going to get any of the money or whatnot but are you talking about the big apartment wait are you talking about the big apartment where they fall in the bathtub but i don't know maybe it's the one where the scene where he's like taking a photo of her out on the balcony yeah yeah yeah. that was in new york i think they were just visiting like i think it was like a hotel that aldo was paying for yeah they were visiting aldo and i think they were just paying for it so like it was odd to see but i was like i understand like the the follow-through just wasn't explained very well because the next scene, they're in Gucci, and Aldo's like, do you like where you are and all that stuff, you like being in New York and things like that. So I think he, they're just visiting, and they don't usually live this life of luxury. And that maybe that is the kind of connection about why Mauricio wants to join, is because maybe he's getting used to the luxury, but they don't tap into that enough right? to really hammer that home. But it's also weird, because, I mean, he was already used to luxury. He was making the choice not to. That is very true. For her, but then, yeah, how does they get ripped in? Because also when she has the tickets to New York, he's like no 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 let's not do that and then they just go and then yeah they end up going or i think like she went first she, went she goes first, sees yeah. aldo there and then i forget how they were able to then make Maurizio come over also what an awkward scene where she's putting on shoes and she's bent over and al pacino walks in and looks at her ass <laughs> and she's like oh those shoes are not right for you right yeah a little strange and then oh, he goes oh Patrizia, my favorite yeah my favorite <laughs> I am Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Curious, curious choices. I think the last thing I really want to touch on is Jared Leto. <laughs> Dude, I can't. What an odd, odd choice. Just wanted to gouge my eyes. I out. think he was the only person that knew what he was doing. It's just because he wasn't doing it the way Ridley Scott was doing it. It just didn't stick well with the movie that was being made. But if this was a comedy, Jared Leto would have been the best part. Jared Leto would have been amazing if this was just a straight-up comedy. Instead of chocolate. I wouldn't know. Like, after he's pouring his heart out, and then they drop that line in. Okay, for the listeners who maybe haven't seen it yet or maybe forget it after watching it so long ago, there's the line where Jared Leto, after he gets betrayed, he's trying to make a point by doing a metaphor. And he says, he says, you need to know the difference between shit and chocolate. And trust me, I know the difference. <laughs> and I, it's like, did he? And I, I leaned over to Ryan and I said, did he eat shit? <laughs> Thinking it was chocolate? That's the implication <laughs> here. What a terrible line. Why would yeah. they include that? 
his character is genuinely funny. I just wish that it was leaned more into a comedy overall to make it fit better because it just stands out as being weird, which might be the intention because he also was the black sheep of the family. So he does stand out in the movie as he does stand out in the family. I think it's funny when, when they're playing rugby and he breaks his nose. <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, I think this, the scene where he shows off his designs and Jeremy Irons is like, you are mediocre. I think that seems pointless. I uh, It doesn't do anything for the plot. It doesn't do anything for anything whatsoever. I just thought it was... Well, no, it sets up... Again, I wanted Paolo to be cut out of the entire film. I wish it wasn't in it. But they set that up as him not getting any sort of approval, getting criticized, so that it makes sense when she comes in, Patrizia, and it's like, oh, this is great stuff. And he's like, wow, no one's ever said that to me before. We understand I feel like that, yeah, I feel like they've a lot of... done it enough because they're already shitting on him all the way up until that point. It's very even true. his father is like, my son is an idiot. He's an imbecile. So all we hear like, from <laughs> all they do is they just shit on him, and then just just more shitting on him. Like I get it. Like I get that he's the black sheep, and I get that nobody likes him, that he's mediocre, and that he wants to do stuff, but he's stupid, and nobody likes him. Like I get it. We don't need another scene hammering that down where he has pointless dialogue while he pees on a on a, a scarf, like. Why would they? Why would he say the line that he says? That's my, my least favorite part of the scene. Is he he openly says what his plans are going to be, and it's like that's not just pee on pee on the scarf. Like if you pee on the scarf, I get what, why he's upset. I get what he's going to do. Like I understand he's betraying the family. You just pee on the scarf. You don't need the the added expository dialogue on top of it. You're right. The exposition is nuts in this movie. It's all over the place. It very much is. I also don't like. I know it was weird how the assassination happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Nance gets shot, and then the next scene is her showing up to the house, and then hugging the new woman, and, and kicking her being out, being like "get out," and then walking past, and then going into that room, which I didn't really know what that was signifying, because again, she was like crying walking there, but. This was her being glad to be back in the apartment, like being the Gucci kid. Mm-hmm. But then cut to the very next scene, and it's her getting put on trial. Two years later. It yeah. was very quickly paced. Like, there's no follow-through. There's no consequences after the assassination. It's just like, she did it. She went to jail. And that's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. wow, you really cut to the chase. Like They didn't really set up any sort of inevitab- inevitability of her getting caught. Or things they never explained how she got her. caught. Yeah, like I have or, no idea how they caught her. Uh, yeah, or like her feelings about that. Like, was it something she anticipated that might happen, but she went through with that decision anyway? Or I they just don't go into that. She's just there. It's done. She goes back into the house, kicks the chick out, and then next scene, boom. Also, I thought it was funny in the assassination scene how they chose to do the assassination one big master shot because it looks great at first. And then the bellhop hops out with a bat and he goes, hey. And then the guy puts a gun and he goes, ah, and then runs off screen. And it's like, <laughs> what? You could have cut for that. You could have done cutting around that to make it a little bit more intense. But it just kind of looks silly to see a guy run in with a bat and then run out real quick and then get shot too. Right. Which they don't even talk about either. It's like, did he die? Did he get hurt? That's like, probably that part what, of the charges. I'm sure that's what happened in real life. Like some dude came out and got shot. But yeah, we don't know if that dude died or lived or what. I imagine he got got. Yeah. All right. Out of, are you all done with your review? You think you're done? Uh, is there anything else to bloody say? I don't think so. 
too good. First, we forgot to rate them on the Wii's. So, out of uh, how many what would you rate them on the Wii's? How many what? 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 It's my uh, favorite scene in the movie. Where he just goes what? 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 He just kept saying it, and I was like, "How many times is he gonna do this?" It was hilarious. <laughs> and then he steps on. And out of how many uh, uh, stepped on pizzas would you rate them on the Wii's? Pizza footprints. Um, I'll give it a four. I was flipping back between a three point five and a four, but I think on better retrospection, I'll give it a four. I think I personally will also give it a four. I there agree. You go. I think it's just a little bit short. Like the beginning is definitely really way too slow and could have been improved, but yeah. it does a good job setting it up, and I'm having a good about. 30, 35 minutes into it, I'm having a good time. And I mm-hmm. can just watch it. Now, out of how many chocolate shits would you rate House of Gucci? <laughs> I will give that two. Two. What are your positives that gets you up to two? Like, what, what were the good parts? Because we talked about what I liked about it, which was very rare. But what was your positive that you liked <laughs> to bump it up to one and a half? Or to two? I mean, I told you the main things. I mean, I was more forgiving for... Like Al Pacino's performance, like I liked when he was on there. No, I thought he was fine. I thought it wasn't that great. The accent, <laughs> like went in and out for him, but I think he was completely fine. Um, I don't know what you would like change for that performance. I think it was fine. Uh, I heavily disliked Paolo. I hated that man. I just wanted him gone. I did really like the scenes. Like I was getting Stockholm syndrome halfway through when he starts turning against Patricia. <laughs> I was like, this is great. But that was just, again, because it was a manifestation of my feelings towards the movie. Uh, I like that bit. I did like uh, some of the scheming towards the end, like the whole politicking bit. But it also made no sense because we got no closure for it. Like, I guess in the entitled scene, it's to say what happens. But we get no real, like, follow through on that. But the whole, like, oh, Domenico is the dude. And, oh, she was right. She was able to see another power grabber because she was a power grabber i was like okay that's fine but yeah they didn't deliver enough on that because my man gets killed um but yeah those were positives for me i do think bro the (laughs) the scene where she's confronting dominico that was just so bad and she takes off his sunglasses her acting in that one in particular was horrific yeah I also feel like they don't define his role well enough because at first he's a lawyer and then he seems just like an errand boy and then all of a sudden he's set up to be the CEO and it's like what right he's just sort of the go-to every guy for everything in all these scenes and it's like what what is happening I don't exactly know. yeah so a you lot give of just it two stars two two chocolate shits out of five indeed it's not like and i don't hate it as much as you you really despise this movie. i really did not like it for me i mean a lot of it was very very boring and i just didn't connect to any of the characters at all so fucking boring dude. So it was very very difficult to get through at times but yeah for me i feel like two stars is fair it did again as you said a lot of the costuming was good to look at i like the locations they were at um a lot of the like jared leto's whole makeup thing like they probably will get nominated for this for that Mm. um so yeah overall though it was not 
that enjoyable of an experience. I'm going to give it one and a half chocolate shits out of five. One and a half. I'm taking off a half a point just because I liked it a little bit less than you. Mm -hmm. I was just bored. I didn't want to be there. I hated it. I hated the characters. <laughs> I hate really Scott. I just, I, I just got sick of it after 10 minutes. I was like, I get it. I don't like it. <laughs> Let me leave. If, if I was watching this at home, I would have just turned it off. But because I sat down in a theater and because we were doing this for the show, we I had sat to. Yeah. <laughs> it was so horrible. I don't know. Ridley Scott should just make sci-fi movies. Even if they're like, at the very least, like Prometheus is bad and Alien Covenant is bad. But at least I can sit through it and be entertained by cool sci-fi stuff. Like, even though it's so bad, I can at least be a little bit entertained. This is just boring. Mm. Which is the most unforgivable sin you could have as a filmmaker. It's very like a boring films. Yeah. There's nothing worse than a boring movie. Anyway, that is our second director's analysis on Ridley Scott. We apologize for shitting on you a little bit. Really. <laughs> but the third one will be your sci-fi movies. And we will have... Uh, mine was not constructive. Uh, <laughs> in our third, in our third analysis that we'll do sometime next year, we'll be talking about Ridley sci-fi movies, and we will have a lot of compliments for those because they are all very, very good. Now it's time to do the movie of the week. It is 2001: A Space Odyssey, made in 1968. This is because it is one of Ridley Scott's favorite movies, and it is one of our favorite movies. It is an incredible, incredible feat. For something that was made in the 60s. It's absolutely incredible. Directed by Stanley Kubrick and written by Arthur C. Clarke. It was starring Keir Dulia and Gary Lockwood. I've seen more movies starring Keir Dulia than I thought I have. I've really? seen this one. I've seen David and Lisa in Bob Jones's class. And <laughs> and I saw... Yeah, I know. And I saw Black Christmas. He's in Black Christmas. Oh, really? Who is he's he? The, he's the crazy guy. Oh yeah, yeah, he's the boyfriend that that is. You're right. You're that. right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird that I've seen three movies starring this guy, and uh, I just don't really know anything about him. And <laughs> I just really only know him from 2001: Space Odyssey. He's Dave. That's about it. Right. But anyway, there's so many great elements to this movie. The set design is is impeccably flawless and just expertly crafted. The whole rotating hallway is absolutely genius. The cinematography is gorgeous. Everything about it is so, so like the flat lighting looks incredible and it just stands out as so high tech and sci-fi. I think it looks fantastic. The special effects are wonderful. All the matte paintings they do are so well crafted. It looks incredible. It looks so realistic. Uh, the costuming is unique and it, it is just wonderful to see. Uh, the whole story by Arthur C. Clarke is just impeccable. It's just so well, well, well done. I think it's great. Did you know that in the original, like the, the Dawn of Man sequence at the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick actually just wanted to use real apes? <laughs> he he should have got his way. Could you imagine? If they actually trained the... And they could have done that. I mean, what were they doing? They were beating on things and then someone threw a bone up. Apes yeah, but then they have to that. start using tools, yeah. Oh, I guess you're right. Later in the movie, it gets... That is a, a very long sequence, too. It's like 10 minutes. Of watching them just be animals and then they learn how to use tools, which is great. Yeah, this is one of those where, yeah, some people could find things like that boring. But that, I mean, that is a movie where it's true art the whole way. I mean, it and so you have to do exactly what it's trying to do, which is yeah, yeah, you, you have to give yourself over to it and realize what they're doing. It's not meant yeah. to be like this fast paced thing that's going to yeah. grip you the entire time. It's the greatest match to... cut in history. Oh, for sure. Beautiful. Truly beautiful. Beautiful indeed. And also did something 
amazing, which was it brought sci-fi movies back into the mainstream after several decades of sci-fi movies being poorly written B sci-fi B B movies, just like bad sort of uh, like go to the drive-in, watch Aliens Invade Earth kind of movies that were just poor and weren't very cool. Like The Thing from Another World, I guess, is a good example. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, things like that, that were just sort of dull and lifeless and products of its time. There, there was no sort of big appreciation for sci-fi movies there. There still is. It's very hard to get sci-fi movies into awards and things like that. We were talking about that earlier with Dune. There's just still some kind of uh, a disconnect from considering them to be like real true art. And Arthur C. Clarke was a huge uh, stepping stone in doing this. He wrote this, he wrote, uh, well, I guess Philip K. Dick wrote uh, Electronic Sheep, which became Blade Runner. But Philip K. Dick and Arthur C. Clarke were the big writers that helped bring sci-fi out of this sort of B-movie, B-book sort of, era and bring it into true art and true masterclass writing and, and production and all these kind of things so i mean it's just a really cool movie it's cool that it brought sci-fi into the mainstream it's cool that it did all these great things it looks beautiful stanley kubrick is is was just a genius a master every mm-hmm. movie he made was just impeccable and flawless which is impressive to say for any filmmaker i mean there's only very few filmmakers i can say whose movies are all amazing and one of them is stanley kubrick and another is quentin tarantino i can't think of too many others that have flawless movies all in all crazy can't wait for our five-part director analysis series on kubrick oh jesus dude we have to do every single one of his movies there's only like 12 of them 13 <laughs> of them yeah but that'll be there's just about. so many they're all so good yeah, Which one's one, your favorite? How early we, in his career was this? Like this, this was, his... was this was like his fifth movie probably because he did Lolita and Spartacus and I think he had already done, uh, what's it called? Uh, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, and he had done Paths of Glory, so that before, so I think this was like his fifth or sixth. Gotcha. What a absolute run this man went on. I mean, nonstop. Every single movie, just back to back, dude. Um, Incredible movies. I mean, this one's fantastic. I'd have to see it again, but I like Clockwork Orange as Mm -hmm. since I saw that like a year ago, stuck with me because that is just. I mean, again, all those films are masterclass filmmaking, but that one in particular, the emotions that it brings out of you all throughout that film is just crazy yeah i haven't seen that one i've seen you scenes haven't? of it i've seen scenes. wait what the heck you said every it. film is great and you didn't see that one well i've seen scenes of it and the scenes that i saw were really good yeah you should you should watch it though because everyone i mean it of course is very difficult to get through yeah of course like the first 50 minutes but um the story that it takes i mean there's just ooh, it's just so good so many great incredible scenes in that also the very very uh, but again you could say this for just about any scene but the very very opening is just so iconic to me it is absolutely mesmerizing burned into my brain but yeah that one i feel like is vying for the top spot i'd have to see it again though just to see like the second watch knowing Mm -hmm. the actual story but being able to dig a bit deeper um if that'd be able to take over but yeah phenomenal work um i haven't seen what was his very final film uh it was eyes wide shut which i also haven't seen yeah yeah yeah. because i hear that one 
is like interesting. Like if there's anyone that people say aren't up to par, it's that one. I heard because it's so like outlandish. It really like it. Yeah, I think I would like it. I feel like I know what it's trying to be, and I feel like I would enjoy it. But I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah, but I know I I really like Paths of Glory. I really like 2001. For me, I think the lower end of the totem pole would probably be like Full Metal Jacket, just because the first half of it is flawless. That is second half of it. The second half of it falls a little short compared. Yeah, but because the first half is literally flawless, like there's nothing. Like every single thing in the first half of that movie is absolutely perfect. It's still on par for Stanley Cooper. Like I've never seen a movie like the first half of the movie. I've never seen any kind of movie done that well. Like, it's so impeccable, the first half. It really is. Second half is just kind of nothing. I get there and I just get kind of bored. Yeah, because it feels more like a generic Vietnam War movie. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish the whole thing had been about their training. It would have been kind of interesting to see. Because that would have made it so much more distinct. Because that Arlie Army, Arlie Army should have gotten an Oscar, bro. Mm -hmm. They forgot to file the paperwork. They, oh, for real? Yes, yes. So Arlie Army didn't get a nomination. Absolutely egregious. Terrible. They should have given him an honorary one after the fact. They should have, dude. He's so good in that movie. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen. Great. All right. Well, we'll talk more about that in our, our Kubrick analyses. Five that part coming Kubrick up. analysis. We could do a five part, just do it throughout the year. Yeah. I mean, it'd be something like that. Something like this where it's just based out. Yeah. 100%. I can't do back to back like we did with Avatar. Well, right. But that was that needed to be back to back, or else we would forget. If we do Stanley Kubrick, we could probably do it chronologically. Like we could do the first three, and then the next three, and then the next three, and the next three, until we get through all of them. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you would like to leave your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail dot com. Our main title theme for the show is "Sundown" by Joseph McDade. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you listen to our next show, which is going to be on is just going to be a, a general grab bag reviews for some of the movies we've seen the past month or so. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things. Stay tuned.